Hi, 180. Uh, hey, thank you to Justin for leading worship today. Thanks, bro. Stepping in. Showing up and showing out. Um, this morning, uh, as I mentioned, what we're going to do is actually a little bit of a Q&A. And so uh, it is a little bit more informal. There it is. 180 Q&A brought to you by Cinnabon. Um, just so you know, I ordered way more Cinnabons than I thought we would need, and you demolished every single last one of them. So uh, good job, and I'm praying for the restrooms. So 180 Q&A, that's today. Uh, we've got a ton of questions, and that's awesome. I'm super grateful that you guys um, have the... Um, ability to see that it's good to ask questions. Uh, you know, if, if you're stuck on something or want to know more about something, don't keep it to yourself. Make that known. We want to be able to help, want to be able to answer that. And so we're going to tackle as many as we can this morning. I don't know that we'll even get to all the ones that are up uh, here on this slideshow PowerPoint thing. But we'll get to as many as we can. And then um, I'll let you know how we'll answer some more of these going forward, okay? So let's start with uh, question number one. Pastor, I say, can you tell us your testimony? I can and I will. And I will do it very briefly because I kind of shared this um, my first Sunday when Josh Petrus did a lot of Puerto Rican stuff with us. So uh, how I came to know Jesus. I grew up in uh, a pastor's home. My dad is a pastor and uh, has been all my life. I mean, since he was 25. Yeah, so that means all my life. And so I grew up knowing what to do. I grew up knowing Bible stories. I grew up knowing truth. I grew up knowing the gospel. Um, And yet I, I realized when I was around 14 years old that knowing the gospel and loving the gospel are two very different things. And that for me, I was in a very dangerous place because I knew so much about the Bible and I knew so much about church and I knew so much about God that uh, it actually made me uh, think I really didn't need what the gospel offered. I just thought that I was fine because I had always known these things and I'd always believed these things and um, I tried to live a really good life and I did, you know, I, I got an older sister and a younger brother and the best behaved child was by far me. And that attitude is the very reason I needed the gospel. <laughs> um, I thought I was better than everyone else. Um, and so um, I talk about this all the time, but you know, the gospel is one in which um, no one is bad enough for Jesus, and also no one's good enough for Jesus. And I was in that group of thinking I was good enough. I went to a conference where I heard the gospel preached, and in that message, I came to understand that my sin, even if it didn't look like other kids, even if it didn't look like friends of mine in school, even if it wasn't um, other stuff that I thought was worse than what I would do, any sin in my life was judgment enough from God and deserving of God's wrath. And so because of that, and recognizing that Jesus was the only rescue, savior from that, I turned to Christ, and I repented of my sins, and um, and if you want to know in some, I, you know, we got a question that kind of ties to this, maybe I'll talk into this now, you know, a testimony isn't just one in which 
you are saved by Jesus. It's one in which now you walk with Jesus. And so at 14, I came to see my need for Christ. And ever since, I've been walking with him. And I haven't been perfect. A lot of times I've stumbled and, fall, and fallen. And a lot of times I've fallen short from God's glory. And every single time, Jesus has been there to pick me up. Every single time, Jesus has been there to remind me that I am no longer a slave to my sin, but I am truly a child of God. And I belong to him, and nothing will ever ruin that. And because of that, I love him. And because I love him, every day I seek to obey him. That's my testimony, and I'm sticking to it. Um, That's me. Uh, Next question. Yes, what specific things can I do to grow closer to God? This is such a great question, and I know a lot of you guys are probably asking this. Um, I think that when when a question like this comes up... um, I wouldn't necessarily say that I get nervous, but I want to make sure that we understand uh, where you need to be before you can grow closer to God. Before you can grow in God, you must be in God, right? You can't ask about how is it I'm going to grow in God without knowing him, without loving him. And so this is a question for Christians. This is for a question really for people who have truly understood who Jesus is and what he's done. It's a question for people who love Christ, understand his grace, understand that there's nothing they could do to save themselves, and because of that, they need God not only to save them, but to help them grow. And so the reason I say that is there are so many people in here, and you know this because you've heard it from each other. Our most recent high school baptism There were several kids that talked about, I grew up in church, I read my Bible, I memorized the verses, I knew what to say, I knew what to do. That would seem like someone who's growing in God, growing closer to God. And yet so many testimonies like that turn and say, and yet I didn't love him. I didn't want him. I was doing it to make others happy. I was doing it to make others proud. I was doing it to tell myself that I'm a good person. And so you can do all those things for the wrong reasons. And so first and foremost, I just want to be clear, in order to grow closer to God, you need to have received God's grace, right? You need to know who Jesus is in faith. It's not an opportunity to scare you. It's simply to remind you, don't try to do many things for Jesus when you haven't received him as Savior and Lord. Now, if you have received him, as Savior and Lord, how do you grow closer to him? The beauty is that God has given us many ways by which to do this. One, through the word of God, right? Through the scriptures, through reading and meditating upon God's word, Joshua 1.9. Um, through developing those disciplines, recognizing that you need to do those things whether you feel like it or you don't. It, not every day that you wake up are you going to go, Awesome, I get to read my Bible this morning. I mean, half the time you don't feel like it, and that's okay. God hasn't called you to follow your feelings. He's called you to follow him. So devote yourself to reading God's word even when you might not even feel like it because in God's word we find power, power to change, power to be transformed, power to grow, power to love God, power to love one another, power to understand the world that we live in, power to discern between truth and lies. Read God's word. Uh, Secondly, and just as important, is prayer. Um, 
you know, it would make no sense for you to say you have a relationship with God and all you ever do is hear from him and he never hears from you. So prayer, and that isn't simply you asking God to do the things that you want. Prayer is actually an opportunity by which as you speak to God, you come into more of a conformity, more of a rhythm with God's will, not your own. That's how Jesus prayed, right? Not my will, but your be done. Father, have your will. He was always seeking to follow in the will of God. And that's what prayer is. It's reminding God of the things that you know to be true of him. It's asking God to help and to move in your life and to be with you and to sustain you. It's communing with God. It's being with God. So don't cheapen prayer to be something that you just do when you're in church or you just do when you're with God's people. No, pray regularly because God is with you always. So read, pray. Thirdly, I would say fellowship. If you want to grow closer to God, then you'll recognize that God allows you to grow with other people, right? Hebrews 10, 25 makes that clear to us, that there's some who, even who have professed to believe the gospel, then use that as an excuse to say, well, then I don't need to do anything else. I don't need to congregate with God's people. I don't need a fellowship with God's people. Why would I need to do all that? I'm good to go. It's not the opposite of what God is doing in us. What God has done in us is he's given us his grace, he's given us his love so that we would stir one another up unto good works and so that we wouldn't neglect fellowship, but instead we would be given to being with each other in a way that's useful, in a way that's profitable, whether that's sitting under the teaching of God's word or whether that's serving one another, whether that is praying together, whether that is uh, iron sharpening iron, being in each other's lives in a way that's intentional and helpful and fruitful. But we need each other. And so if you're a Christian who doesn't feel like you need others, then you've missed the point of what the gospel's doing in your life. The gospel has made you dependent on Christ, and it's also made you codependent on others. You, you rely upon Jesus, and you also now have brothers and sisters in Jesus who you'll need for the rest of your life. So if you're going to grow in him, you need to be committed to God's word. You need to stand on the truth. You need to be committed to communing with God in prayer. And you need to be committed to being with God's, God's people in fellowship. And those three very simple things are ways to uh, grow your faith in Christ. Obviously, you can read other books. We can read other articles. There's a lot of really good things that you can do. Um, but those three things, I think, are primary. It's God's word. It's communion with God and it's fellowship with God's people. That's how you can grow closer to God. All right? All right, we got some we got some more. I think this next one's kind of fun. Oh yeah, I really like this one. Um a friend's parents enforce lots of rules that are Christian. How do I pray for and approach my friend who seems to be traumatized by Christianity? This is a really fascinating question. I think the premise of it is uh, this friend's parents are enforcing things that uh, they say are um, in line with Christianity and with evangelicalism, and they want their kid to follow these rules because that's what Christians do, right? Um, And this other kid's looking at it going, oh, that's kind of doesn't seem to be helping this kid. How do I help them? It's a great question, and I love that this person has a concern for their friend and 
wants to help them. I think first and foremost, that's my encouragement. I'm grateful that uh, this friend has it. And I hope that you're that person for any of your friends, that there's someone that can depend on you and can go to you as someone who wants to help them and pray for them. Now, as it comes to answering this question, there's actually several ways that we could go in it. Um, Number one, I would want us to always be careful of um, assessing other people's families um, in light of our own. Each family is so very different, right? And no family is perfect. But if we're taking a very generic, neutral Christian family, even amidst those families, there's going to be various differences in opinions and preferences and the ways that we do things. Like, you know, some family is totally okay with their toddler, you know, pouring spaghetti down their chest. Like, just go ahead. Go ahead, baby. Y'all, that's so cute. Like, I can't believe it. Look at how cute they are trying to eat their spaghetti. And the kid is just doused in marinara sauce. Um, can I just be real with you? That drives me nuts. So I don't let my kids take marinara sauce baths. That's me. And I just, that's how we do things in my house, but that's not necessarily how everyone does things in their house. And so I say that to say you want to be careful because not everything needs to be heightened to be something that it's not. And what one family does is just their own preferences is fine. Same with my family. And you'll learn as you get there into that season of your life, you are never called to lead or to be governed by another family's rules. You have your family and God has called your parents to lead you. And that's who you follow and that's who you honor and that's who you obey. And other kids have their own parents who they need to honor and they need to obey. And sometimes in that, absolutely, there's just preference situations that come up. There's just things that come up that you go, oh, that's weird that they do that. And that's just not your problem. Like that's just not something for you to concern yourself about. You're not a parent in that situation. You don't make the rules in that situation. And so you want to be careful that you don't overanalyze that families are different or that parents are different and that even Christian parents are different. Some Christian parents would tell you the only way to do it is to homeschool your entire life. And others would say, no, I need them to go to public school to meet people in the world. And those same Christian parents one day will see each other in heaven because it wasn't about those things. And in both situations, I think those parents are trying to honor the Lord and be a blessing to their kids. So, so be careful that you don't put too much stock into the differences. Um, I would also say with this, that then this begs the question, do you, are you focused only on what this kid's going through with their parents or are you helping this kid in where they are? No matter the situation, even with the differences that we share, especially as kids, as children, and even in your guys' situation, season of life, you are called to honor and to obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And so there's not a whole ton of wiggle room there, right? Um, you know, it's it's challenging, and and it's not meaning that your parents are overlords or anything, um, but there is a responsibility for children to submit to the authority of their parents, whatever that might be. Now, we recognize, right, in some homes there is brokenness and 
there is dysfunction, there is sadness, and there is um, maybe not even the leadership that God has designed the family to have. And that's really devastating, and that's really sad, and that's something that's entirely different to navigate through. Um, And in those situations, I think that's why the church is actually here. We're here to help with stuff like that. But on a regular basis, um, your responsibility is to honor and obey your parents, and your friend's responsibility then would be to honor and obey their parents. And so, um, you know, I think one of the reasons, and so I'm going, I'm, I'm coming from an angle now that's a little bit different than maybe assumed. I think one of the reasons that any kid might be a little bit traumatized by Christianity is because we don't want authority, right? If we were to be honest with ourselves, I mean, trauma and traumatized is like trigger words these days, and everyone's traumatized these days. Why? Because nobody wants to submit to anybody. In fact, you're being told that on a regular basis. We, we've had parents tell us that even in, in our area here in L.A., kids are being sent home told they can decide whatever they want to be in terms of their gender. That's just the world we live in. That was never decided upon before by a three-year-old. A three-year-old doesn't even know like, where they are right now. I got a two-year-old at home. He doesn't have a clue that he's on this planet. But I'm supposed to let him choose like what gender he is? That doesn't make any sense. But we are placing that responsibility, our society has placed the, responsi- the responsibility and the authority in the hands of kids who've never had that before. And they've never had that before, not only because that's been in the hands of their parents, but because that's ultimately in the hands of God. That's something that belongs to God. And so anyone who has an issue with submitting to authority, whether it be parents or teachers or rulers, I think they ultimately have an an issue with God's authority. And and so I would want to be careful that the experience that you're seeing isn't, isn't simply one of there's a lot of rules, but maybe there's one of a kid that doesn't want to obey their parent. Maybe there's one of a kid who just doesn't want to come around to recognizing I don't rule my life. Now, flip side of the coin, there could be tons of rules, and there could be tons of weird stuff that a kid's being asked to do by their parents, and that could make Christianity come across as really weird, and our Bibles are very clear about that. Whenever you have the gospel plus rules, you get crazy town. That's what you get 10 times out of 10, because the gospel isn't about the rules, and so this is an opportunity for both sides to really check their hearts. Parents are trying to do that, and I hope you know that. A lot of you have good and godly parents. They're trying their best to raise you and to love you and to pour into you in the ways they know how, in the ways that they are following Christ and honoring Christ and loving Christ. They aren't perfect. Hopefully, they would tell you that themselves. Um, You know, while you're this age, they try not to because they just want you to listen for once because that's so hard, but they know they're not perfect but neither are you. And so that's why there's two sides of this coin. The rules, parents need to be careful for sure on how they establish rules. But also you need to be careful too on how much you're always trying to bend the rules or break the rules or tell people that the rules don't matter because they do. They're there for your good. That's what the commandments have always been there for, not just in your home, but in life. God has established the law to protect us. And instead, now it condemns us because none of us are good at following rules. And so we need Jesus.
So this is an opportunity to say, minister to your friend by reminding them, especially if they're a believer, of their responsibility to honor and obey their parents. Remind them that parents aren't perfect, and we all know that. And remind them that amidst all the rules, there's still grace, and that we all need the gospel, parents and kids alike. That's what I would kind of say in answer to uh, this question. It's a great one, and we could talk about it for a long time, but um, I hope that helps our anonymous friend and their anonymous friend. Um, All right, question number four. How do you evangelize to a friend who thinks they are Christian but might not be? Great question. Um, You know, it's funny when I think of this question, um, if I could be honest with all of you, I, I think about entering into this room. And I think about doing ministry here, and I think that's what my job is on a daily basis. I, I Every time I come in here on a Sunday morning, I assume that you guys are Christians, and I also know that some of you are not. And my job in that isn't to try to figure out where every single one of you is in the moment. My job as I think about ministering to people who say they're Christians and might not be, my job is to be a Christian. And my job is to display Christ in a way that would help non-Christians know their need for Jesus and help people who think they're in Christ see if they're deceived in Christ or deceived and, and not in Christ, I should say. And so... How is it that we would evangelize to a friend like this? Well, keep being a Christian, the best possible Christian you can be. Because a non-Christian will either get really tired of it or will come to saving faith in Jesus, right? If one of your friends is a professing believer, that's great. Treat them like a Christian and you be a Christian. Continue to love Christ and continue to invest your life for Christ. Continue to pour Christ into your conversations and into the things that you do. And over time, it'll be made very clear where they are. In a lot of ways, because of where you are. And that's God's grace. It's owed to nothing else but God's grace. And so it's not, it's not rocket science. I think that oftentimes what, what this question is begging for, and I struggle with this too, is that you have a friend who says they're a Christian and they're not, and you're going, I just want to shake them and just say, like, you're not a Christian, and, and then they hopefully believe me you wouldn't do that (laughs) and you shouldn't do that. And I don't think it would help if you did that. It's only going to help that you continue to walk in holiness, that you continue to cultivate your relationship around the person and work of Jesus. And that in that it would become clear to that person where they are. Now, that being said, if that relationship is extending itself over time and you have this friendship and you, you guys are following the Lord together and over time you're serving together and worshiping together and it persists that this person doesn't really seem to model a Christian life, you can ask questions. You can inquire. Hey, I, I love you, man, but what's going on? <laughs> like, I know you say you're a Christian, so I'm I'm believing that, but like there's all these things that just keep keep saying, keep doing. 
you keep acting this way, you keep rebelling this way, like that's not consistent with who we are. And that'll lead to one of two places. No, it's fine. Don't worry about me. I'm good. No, that's not an issue. Oh, you're just being weird. Okay. Or you're right. I, I'm, I need to repent and I need to turn to Christ and ask him to help me with this. I'm sorry that I've offended you in that. So absolutely live your life as a believer. Be bold, be brave, live for Christ. But also if you have an opportunity to have a conversation with someone, especially a brother or sister in Christ, why wouldn't you have it? Take that opportunity and witness to someone, even your brother or sister in Christ, especially when they aren't living the way that they should be. I mean, why do we have a, why do we read the scriptures every single Sunday here at church? And why do we go through it meticulously? I don't think it's because it's a great exercise. I think it's so that every single time we do that, we're sure that we're either in Christ or not in Christ. That we really believe in him or we don't. That we truly love him or we don't. That's why we do that. And, and when you do, you'll continue to grow in that. And if you don't, it'll become abundantly clear to you where you stand. So be bold. Live your life for Christ. But be honest with people too. No, don't be a jerk. But be a friend. Be someone who's honest with people. And can tell them where they truly are. In a way that resonates with them, right? That makes sense for them. So that's how I would answer that. It's a great question, and we all really struggle with it. So, um, yeah, question number five. Oh, okay. I see what you did there. How do I treat and help unbelieving friends to know Christ? So if we're talking about first, and this will be pretty quick here. If we talk about first, uh, Christians who might not realize they aren't truly Christians, on the flip side of that, are non-Christians who absolute, absolutely know that they're not Christians, right? How do we treat them and how do we help them come to know Christ? I think the answer is still one and the same. And we talked about this a little bit last night in our North Bible study, how how challenging that can be. And I think the word that came up that I think really resonated with everyone was awkward. Um, it can be super awkward to share about Jesus with friends, especially non-believing friends. Um, you know, you have a relationship that started with you guys watching Paw Patrol together, and and you like Uncrustables, and and you like Lunchables, and you share in common that Hot Cheetos are the best Cheetos. And all your life, you guys have built these commonalities, but there's one thing that really stands out that's really different. And it's that you believe in Jesus and they don't. How do you bring that up? Well, I think in the midst of that, it's the same things we've just talked about, right? Do they see a holy life from your part? Do they see a transformed life? That's great that you have a relationship with them, but your life should look like a Christian's life, even if theirs doesn't. And even in your relationships with them, they should see something in you that is totally and completely different because you have been given a new heart, a new heart that has a new desire, which is to follow Christ and love him. And so do they see that your life has been changed by the power of the gospel? And secondly, will you take those steps to have conversations with non-believing friends about their unbelief. 
Jesus came to earth and sat at many tables, had many meals, sat across from many people, and he never shied away from preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus was apparently a great hang. People loved to be around him. So it wasn't that he wasn't relational. It wasn't that he didn't know how to be with people. Everyone he was with was an unbeliever. But Jesus was also very clear about what he came to do and why it mattered for sinners. And you need to have that same kind of boldness. Um, you know, I shared with our group yesterday or with North yesterday, you know, maybe the reason it's, it's awkward for you is because you don't really believe it yourself. Maybe it's not true for you. And you're trying to convince someone else of something that you're not convinced of yet. Maybe it's awkward for you because you're still living in and committed to tendencies, way to think, ways to talk, ways to act, ways to live that still reflect the world and not the life you've been given in Christ. And that would make it super awkward because now your friend's going to go, well, you were laughing at it too. Well, you were talking about it too. Well, you were cursing too. Well, well, you were doing that too. Well, you were saying that too. And it's like, well, then you kind of just got yourself to blame on that one. Like, (laughs) you weren't showing them what a Christian life looked like. So sometimes it's awkward because of ourselves. And I think we get to be honest with people. We're not perfect either. We're growing. But you should be committed to demonstrating Christ and proclaiming Christ. I think the simplest way to put it. Um, And love others the way that Christ has loved you, right? Christ was sacrificial and gracious and gentle and humble before you. You should be that same way with other people. So, great question. Um, Question number six. Um, Oh, yes. I love this question. I'm looking forward to heaven, but the concept of forever makes me anxious. How can I be excited and not afraid of eternity? That's a really good question, and I I think lots of people have asked this question. When you stop and think about the fact that we are going to live forever, it freaks some people out, and I I think that's rightly so, because you already know that we weren't, that our lives don't work out that way. Every single one of us is destined to at some point expire, except that we're not, (laughs) God has made it that we would be eternal creatures. And though we die in this life, we all know, no matter what you believe, no matter whether you believe the gospel or not, every single one of us will live eternally. That is a reality. It's true for every single person who's ever walked this earth. Every single person will be an infinite being. That could be a very scary thought. I think the way to help answer this question and to kind of move away from the fear that often comes with thinking about eternity and moving into a position of being excited about that and being joyful of what's coming forward, I think it's recognizing that heaven isn't something that you're waiting for. Heaven is something that's already made itself known to you now. What are we going to heaven for? Like, what is that place about? It isn't clouds in the sky, and it isn't roaming around like Cupid. Like, it isn't like you just get to, like, bounce around, and you kind of resemble one of those little, uh, what are they called? Build-a-bears? Care-bears? 
you know, like where they like have rainbows and unicorns and it's clouds and it's not bears, but it's us. Honestly, I wouldn't want that. That would be so scary and so creepy to me. And if that's what eternity was, you can miss me with that. Um, that's not eternity. And eternity isn't, isn't aimless. It isn't pointless. It has all purpose and all meaning because it's us being with Christ. And Christ isn't just saving that for you later. He's doing that for you now. He is with you now, even to the end of the age, is what he says. He's committed to being your good shepherd. He's committed to walking with you now, to living in you now, to helping you now. And so I think one of the reasons that we struggle with eternity is maybe because of where we are in the present. There's different reasons for this. One is it could just it could be your faith. And maybe it's that you don't know Christ now the way that you should. Maybe you need to look upon Christ and recognize that he is the priority. He is the true treasure. He's worth being an infinite treasure because we behold his beauty now in the reality that he gave his life for us. So that instead of eternity in hell, and eternity in in punishment, we could have eternal life with Him in perfection. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more struggling, no more wrestling with doubts. That won't be there anymore because we'll have Him. He is the priority. He is the goal. And He is the prize. Those who look to heaven look to Jesus Those who get excited about heaven, it's because they get excited about Christ. And so maybe now what you need is to believe upon him. Or you're a Christian who just struggles with that. And maybe the simple thing is you just need to focus on him. Because the cares of this world will definitely wrestle with you. And the things of this world will definitely wrestle with you. It's it's hard to focus on the excitement that is to come when... There's always something new for you here. But we know that the things here on earth, they're fleeting in comparison to the glory that's coming in Christ. And so focus on him. And you don't need to try to wrap your mind around what it's going to look like when you get to be with him in eternity. It's going to be really hard for you to figure that out. I think the best way for you to live in excitement of God's future glory is to live courageously and wholeheartedly for him. Now, if you want to know what it's like to be completely excited that day that we get to be with God forever, start living with him today. And if you do that now, I promise you, he will not fail you in eternity. You will have all joy and all pleasure and all hope fulfilled when we're with him forever. And you won't be afraid of that concept then because when we get there, the joys that we experience now that are but just a shadow of the joy then will be fully realized. And when we're in heaven, we can't wrap our minds around this now, but when we're in heaven, we couldn't, we won't be able to fathom a day where we wouldn't sing his praises, where we wouldn't give him glory, where we would want to be outside of his presence. I think eternity will feel like a very short time because there's never enough that we could do for him. There's never enough praise that we could give him. 
But the nice thing is we'll have forever to do so. So if you're looking to eternity and thinking that's a daunting reality, it is. But it's not for those who love Christ. Love him. And you don't need to wait to love him then. Love him now. Be committed to him now. Those who do that now, one day, they'll find that joy realized forever. So it's a great question. I love it. Um, Don't be afraid of eternity. It's what God has promised to those who love him. And it's a joy that you aren't just going to experience then. All true Christians experience that joy right now. So great question. I'm going to turn to question number seven. Oh, big time. Uh, transgenderism. Does the Bible talk about it? And how do we handle those conversations and relationships? The answer is yes. And the second part is tricky. But let's talk about it. Um, I think one of the saddest things when it comes to this conversation, and I know that you guys, I mean, there was a, a region talk on this. And I think Josh even did a a talk on it before Regen here in 180. Um, The saddest part about this is that people want to change themselves in ways that God never desired to. God never said that there was anything wrong with you physically or in the way that he made you. There's something wrong with your heart, right? And so if you desire that, or think that, you know, I don't want to be a boy anymore, I want to be a girl, or vice versa, you're telling God that he made a mistake when he made you. And the thing that we all know to be true, because of Genesis 1, is when God made everything, God never made a mistake. God is has not messed up in your life. And God didn't make you something that he was like, oops, whoa, that was a... Whoop. Oh, well, I'll let him figure it out. It's not how God works. God made you exactly the way that he wants you. And not only that, but God made you exactly the way that would bring him the most glory. You are who you are, designed by God to give him glory. You were made in his image and likeness to reflect who he is. You don't need to change a single thing about you. Not in that respect. And I know what you're saying. If, you know, well, I don't feel like this, or maybe my heart tells me that I should do something else or I want to be something else. Well, Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. I wouldn't want to listen to that. I don't want to listen to my heart. And neither should any of you. And neither should anyone that you come into contact with that kind of has this mindset. We're not people that follow our heart. We want to follow God. We want to follow the truth. And so I, it's, I get it that that's what your heart says, but your heart isn't to be followed or pursued. In fact, the whole point, Ezekiel 34, is that you need a brand new one. Let's get the old one out and let's get a new heart in. Everything else can stay. Every other part of you is right. It's how God wants you. It's how God made you. And so be that. So I think the issue that we have is, you know, and obviously people in the world are going to confront you with this. If you're a believer or a Christian, you know, the world's going to tell you like they do about many things. Well, the Bible doesn't ever say this word. The Bible doesn't ever say the word transgender. The Bible doesn't say this other word. It's just ways for people to dance around the truth. 
The truth is this. When God made us, he made male and female. And he made you perfectly the way you are to bring him glory and in a way that would actually bring you the most joy. It's just you don't get to see that unless you follow God, love him, and pursue him. My guy's just moving, walking. All right. Um, And so that's how God made you. He did that on purpose. No mistakes, no questions. He's perfectly righteous and he knows what he's doing. And so you need to follow that. Now, how do you have relationships with people and how do you help people in those positions, right? That's difficult. That's not easy. What are you going to do when someone comes up to you and they kind of express to you that they're feeling certain things or they want to change who they are? That's challenging. But I think the way you're going to do that is to be completely honest with them and bold about the truth of the gospel. Bro, do we need to help you, man? What are you looking for? That is also a mega Rubik's cube. That is a big time one. All right, just have a seat, all right? That's all right. No worries. Just having some serious conversations. You're walking with a Rubik's Cube. So, all right, all right. We got you, bro. Um, Let's have a... So in these relationships, how are we going to handle it? Well, I think it's going to be by you being bold and courageous about the truth that we're already discussing. Why wouldn't you tell people what reality is? I find that to be the hardest thing in the entire world right now. We, we have allowed the world to dictate lies and to propagate lies and to promote lies and to live in them, and no one wants to say anything about it. In fact, many churches, many Christians are super happy to just go, hey, if that's how people want to live, no problem. I, I, it's not me. It ain't going to be me. It ain't going to be my kids. It ain't, I ain't going to do nothing. No worries at all. What kind of way to live is that? So you would just... Be happy to watch people descend into hell because you were just content to never tell them the truth about God? That's devastating. And hopefully if you're a Christian, that's not the way that you think. Romans 1, 32 tells us that that's the way that things are. It doesn't just tell us that the world is progressively getting worse. It doesn't just tell us that even these kinds of things will come up where men will do things they shouldn't do and women will do things they shouldn't do. It actually tells us that those who know God's righteous decrees will give license to, will give approval to the people that practice the very things that we know are not good, the very things that we know are not true, the very things we know are evil and against God's will. I think that's the state of much of the church today. It's a place where Christians just go, yeah, I don't got to worry about it. That's not for us. We don't need to talk about it. We don't need to tell our friends. We don't need to do anything. This is not how God made us. In fact, in the fact that we're still here right now, that you're sitting in this room, means that God is giving us time. And that time is for the world and for sinners to come to repentance in true faith and believe in him. And so we need Christians who are bold. Declaring the beauty of the gospel, the glory of the gospel, who want to share Christ and the truth of Christ so that others would be set free, not just free from the power of Satan or free from sin, but free from themselves so that they could live for God. You don't have to be afraid of the world. Jesus has overcome the world so that you could go out into it and be bold for him, bold for the truth.
be loving and be caring and considerate of people. That's why it's kind of, it's so damaging when you have situations like this and people in the church either don't want anything to do with it or only want to mock or make fun of or put people down. It's unhelpful because those people have a soul. And more than what they want to do here on this earth, one day they'll spend eternity with or without God. So what will you do? Hopefully you'll go to them with the gospel. You'll share it boldly. You'll share it lovingly. You'll share it patiently. And you'll share it in a way where they get to see Christ. They know him and they love him. So don't be afraid. The Bible does talk about it because the Bible has been very clear about how God has made us. And above all things, we aren't here to believe what we want. We're here to believe what he says. And what he says is true. So follow God's word and go and tell the world what the truth is. Do so in a way that would be helpful and profitable. But don't be afraid of the world either, especially when it comes to this issue. All right? Um, That's question number seven. I think, man, this next one was actually pretty great. But why don't we turn to question number 10, because I think it's important for us to answer on the heels of this. Um, Does J-Mac listen to rap? Um, Listen, here's the crazy part. I haven't asked him, but the answer is a hard no. Uh, uh, just kidding. I have no idea, but I'm, I'm 99% sure that the answer is a hard no. Uh, last slide real quick here. Um, if you have more questions, you can text us. There's a number. It's, it's totally anonymous on your part, and, and I'm the only one that sees the questions anyway. Um, here's what we're going to do. I'd love to do more opportunities like this. And in the future, I'd love to bring up some of our staff people so they can help answer some of these. Um, but also there was a ton of questions that came in. And if you have more, you're more than willing, we're more than willing to hear from you. Um, and what we'll do is we're going to take some opportunities to make some videos where we answer some of these questions and we'll post them on social media and stuff to kind of be a, a resource for you. Um, so that you get more answers a little more quickly than just the next time we do a Q&A. So um, just know that that's something that's on our heart. We know you have questions, and we want to help answer them. So if you have one, send one in, and we're going to get to as many as we can. I know we didn't get to all of them today. Um, The one I was really looking forward to was the one that said, I want to date. So we'll get to it. Don't worry. So with that, uh, it's time. Let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed and... Somebody will eat bomb lunch, right? We'll just all eat something amazing. Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy and grace toward us in Jesus. Thank you for your love and your affection in Christ that has come to sinners in need of a Savior. And not only have we received a Savior, but we've received him as Lord. Because Jesus is the one, the only one worthy enough to fulfill the punishment that we Uh, require as sinners, the only one worthy uh, through his righteous life uh, to be the substitute that we needed. He is also now worthy to have all authority. He gets to tell us exactly what it is that we need to do. And the beauty of Jesus is that he isn't like the kings of this world or the rulers of this world who uh, tell people what to do because it's their own best interest. Jesus has our best interest in mind. King Jesus is so glorious 
that the things that would bring him joy and the things that would bring him glory are also the things that would make life better for us. And so it's no burden to follow Christ. I pray that you would help our students to be courageous and bold with the gospel because it's what the world needs most. What the world needs is to hear of how Jesus has given his life as a ransom for many and how in Christ all of life finds its purpose and fulfillment and joy and happiness. It's meaning. It's all bound to the work and the person of Christ. Those who've seen that in this room, help them to be bold with the gospel. And those in this room who still have not believed in you, give them eyes of faith. Help them to see the sin that's in their life that's keeping them from loving you and following you. Help them to see the passions and the desires that they have for themselves. How selfishness is one of the greatest ways in which we neglect God. It blinds us to his glory because we're so enwrapped with ourselves. If anyone here hasn't believed in Christ, show them these things and much more, show them Christ. Make him glorious in their sight. Thank you that Jesus is worthy of our worship. Help us this week as we seek to be bold for you and as we seek to honor you in the ways that we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.